You're listening to KZOM, Oleander Public Radio. You're listening to 1130 AM, Oleander Community Radio. Here's the Community Bulletin Board of what's going on this week. Dog wash has been canceled, the car wash has been canceled, and also summer soccer and summer team softball canceled. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Oleander Book Club. This is the second episode for the week of August. We're talking about goblins. Last week we were talking about rats. If you heard last week's episode, the mayor tasked me with the task of going out and getting rid of rats. And now I, I have the task of going out and trying to figure out if they're really rats or if they're goblins. I don't think they're really goblins. It's, I'm joking. It's, I just found a bunch of little tools, and then I started thinking about it. It's like, rats can't use tools. Maybe they're goblins. I don't even think they're goblins. I think rats. But also, I found old tools for display. Anyway, the thing I was thinking about the other day, 99% invisible articles of inquiry, they were little fashion dolls that were found uh, from uh, post-World War II France, uh, used to kind of, uh, they didn't have enough money to create full outfits, so they used scrap for that year for uh, fashion shows and just moved the dolls around, as opposed to having models. Anyway, that's when I was thinking about the tools in the last, last episode of the show, full episode of the showcase, uh, Radio Free Oleander, that's what I was talking about. Uh, and if you haven't haven't checked out Articles of Inquiry, highly recommend it. Highly recommend it. It's a subset of 99% Invisible, which goes into design, and this is more into fashion design, which can't say I'm necessarily into fashion design, but it makes fashion design definitely interesting if you're not into it. Just an update. Uh, later on this month, we will be having a parade for the Viking Days Festival and also the Renaissance Fair, which normally the Viking Days Festival happens out by uh, St. Olaf's, and the Renaissance Fair takes out, takes place out on the fairgrounds by the river. But due to COVID-19, we have to combine both of those into one event, which we're going to call something plague... I, I don't know. Someone City Council decided something about plague doctors. I think it's in poor taste. I don't really think it's a good idea, and I kind of think that uh, having parades is a bad idea, except for what we are trying to say to people is... Don't come out to the parade, watch the parade on TV, listen to it on the radio. If you do have to come out to the parade, just, just go out to your front porch and watch it. Don't sit out on the streets next to each other. And if you do sit out on the streets next to each other, at least, at least, at least six feet, at least six feet. Wash your hands, wash your face. Don't be a jerk. Be nice to people. See people you don't know from outside of town? Be happy that they're spending money in Oleander. Don't be jerks to people. And anyone who's interested, I believe someone's going to be projecting a copy of Robot Monster onto the side of the middle school this weekend. So if you want to pull up into the parking lot and watch Robot Monster, it's going to be there. All right, goblins. First up, we have the story of three goblins. And then we have Goblin Market. The first one is a children's story. The second one... Um, it's not, not a children's story, but it is also kind of, well, you'll see. All right, here we go. The story of the three goblins. Once upon a time, there were three little goblins. Their names were Red Cap, Blue Cap, and Yellow Cap, and they lived in a mountain. 
The goblin's a great friend. A green frog whose name was Rowley. Rowley came every year to see the little goblins and told them stories about the big world where he lived. The goblins had never seen the big world and often asked their father to let them go with Rowley. But he always said, Not yet, my sons. The name of the goblin's father was Old Black Cap. He was king of the mountain. At last, one day, Old Black Cap called the three goblins and said to them, I am going to send you into the big world to look for something which the fairies stole from me a long time ago. A red feather which always belongs to the king of the mountain. Go, my sons, and the one who finds it shall be king of the mountain after me. Red Cap, Blue Cap and Yellow Cap said goodbye to their father and climbed out into the big world through a rabbit hole. When they had gone a little way, they saw something lying on the ground, something large and white and round. What is that? They all cried together. Red Cap, who was the eldest, got inside it to see what it was made of. Oh, oh, cried Blue Cap and Yellow Cap. It, it is moving. Stop, stop. But the white thing rolled away down the mountain with poor little Red Cap inside it. Faster and faster it went, and Blue Cap and Yellow Cap were left quite behind. Now, little Red Cap was a brave goblin, but he was rather frightened when the white thing began to roll so fast. He wondered if it would ever stop, when bump, splash, he found he was in the water, and something big with a smooth coat was close beside him. It was a kind water rat who had seen the poor little goblin roll into the water. I can swim, said Mr. Rat. I will hold you by the collar and take you to dry land again. Red Cap thanked the kind water rat very much, and they sat down on the bank of the stream to rest. Red Cap told the rat all about his father and brothers and the red feather, and soon Blue Cap and Yellow Cap came running up quite out of breath but very glad to find their brother quite safe and not even scratched. They all soon said goodbye to the rat, who wished them good luck, showed them the road and told them to look in a tree, which he pointed out, where he said they would find something which would help them very much. The goblins raced to the tree. Yellow Cap won the race and climbed up quickly, while the others ran all round looking to see what they could find. They found nothing, and Yellow Cap was just coming down again when he spied a bird's nest with three dear little blue eggs in it. He crawled along the branch to look at the eggs and saw something white under the nest. Yellow Cap pulled it gently, and out came an envelope. Full of joy, he slipped down to his brothers. They opened the envelope and found a sheet of paper on which was written in gold letters, You who seek the feathered red. First the serpent's blood must shed in the cave where fairies dwell. The feather lies, so search it well. Hurrah! cried Redcap. Let us make haste and find the cave. Soon they came to a big, dark forest. And after they had gone a little way, they saw a fence and a large board on which was written in red letters, Tom Tiddler's Ground. Trespassers will be prosecuted. The goblins looked over the fence and saw that the ground was covered with gold and silver. 
Oh, they cried, let us fill our pockets. What fun! And they began to climb over the fence. They all got safely down on the other side, and, seeing no one about, they began to fill their pockets with the shining money, singing, We are on Tom Tiddler's ground, picking up gold and silver. Suddenly, they heard a big, rough voice say, Yes, you are on Tom Tiddler's ground, and Tom Tiddler will lock you all up, you little thieves. The goblins dropped their handfuls of gold and silver and found themselves caught up by a great big giant who carried them off with great long strides to his house. Tom Tiddler took them into a large kitchen where Mrs. Tiddler was busy making the tea. Wife, said he, put these goblins in the pantry and we will have them fried on toast for breakfast. The poor little brothers were locked up in the pantry and they sat down on the floor, holding each other's hands very tight and shaking with fear. At last, they grew bolder and began to think how they could get away. They tried to open the window and found to their joy that Tom Tiddler had forgotten to lock it. They crept out very quietly and climbed down by the thick ivy which grew up the wall. The goblins ran as fast as they could, only stopping to fill a sack which they had found of gold and silver. They knew that Tom Tiddler and his wife were at tea and would not think of coming out for some time. The brothers managed, after a great deal of hard work, to get the sack over the fence, and, as it was too heavy to drag with them, they agreed to bury it in the forest and dig it up as they came back. Just when they were ready, a rabbit came up to them. Hello, little chaps, said the rabbit. Where are you off to? We're on our way to the fairy's cave. They replied. You have a long way to go yet, said the rabbit. The cave is on an island in the sea, but I'm going that way, and if you jump on my back, I'll give you a lift. The little brothers thanked the rabbit very much, as they were feeling tired after their hard work. As soon as they were safely seated, the rabbit started off. On and on they went, until they had left the dark forest far behind, and were on the seashore. Here, the rabbit stopped, saying, I can take you no further. You have now to cross the water and must consult the great fish. He will appear if you knock three times on the rock. Take also this red dust. You will find it useful. And, putting a little bag of red dust into Red Cap's hand, the rabbit ran off. The goblins did as the rabbit had told them, and, when they had knocked three times on the rock, a large fish raised itself slowly out of the water and said, Why have you called me? Please will you tell us how to get to the fairy's cave? said Blue Cap. Look between the rocks so green, there a boat will soon be seen. In the boat you all must sail, wafted gently by the gale, said the fish and sank again beneath the blue waves. The brothers after looking about for a little while, found a white boat between two big rocks covered with green seaweed. They pulled it out and got in, and no sooner had they sat down than a gentle wind sprang up and blew them steadily out to sea. They were rather frightened, as they had never been on the sea before, but soon they saw that they were coming to land. The land proved to be an island, 
and when the boat stopped on the yellow sand, the goblins all jumped out. They made the boat fast by tying the rope to a large piece of rock and, feeling that their hardest work was coming, walked bravely over the sands, carrying a boat hook which they had found in the boat. They soon came to a dark cave in the rocks. In front of the cave was a big dragon which breathed fire out of its mouth and roared like hundreds of lions. The goblins, after trying many times, managed to creep over the rocks behind the dragon and, throwing the dust which the rabbit had given them into its flaming eyes, they at last, after a hard fight, killed the monster and entered the cave. The goblins looked round in the darkness for the serpent of which they had heard, but they could not find it. At last, when they were sadly thinking of going back to the boat, Redcap cried out that he saw something yellow in the dark shadow of a rock. It was the serpent's tail. They all ran after it, shouting loudly, and it led them some way down a rocky passage. It went very quickly, and they had to run very fast to keep it in sight. But at last they caught it, and after a sharp struggle, in which poor little Redcap nearly lost his life, killed it. The three brothers stood looking at the dead serpent, and while they were looking, it seemed to change. It moved and grew thinner and darker, and the bright yellow colour turned to orange, and from orange colour to red, and then redder, and redder, and redder, until they saw that it was no longer the serpent, but the red feather for which they had come so far to look. At that moment, a bright light seemed to shine, and standing near the goblins was a lovely lady. Goblins, she cried. Welcome to the cave of the fairies. Long have I waited for this happy day, when my kingdom should be once more restored to me. You must know that many years ago, the wicked wizard Tom Tiddler cast over me a cruel spell. I and my people were forced to leave our fairy isle and wander in the shape of birds in the big world. We were told that never would the spell be broken until... Three goblins should enter the cave in search of a father. We therefore stole your royal red feather and hid it in our cave. No sooner had we done so than the cruel wizard turned it into a yellow serpent and put a terrible dragon at the entrance of the cave. Our friend Rowley the Frog told your father that we had stolen the feather and as soon as you were old enough we gave you the wish to undertake this journey. But, for your courage, I should still be in Tom Tiddler's power. In return for your bravery, I now charm your red feather. Henceforth, any goblin holding it in his hand shall have his wish, whatever it may be, granted. As the princess said these words, she touched the feather with her wand. The goblins thanked the lovely princess many times, and asked her to send for them at once, if they could ever help her. They then took leave of the fairies and started for home. They sailed again over the sea and found the rabbit waiting for them. They jumped on the rabbit's back and off they went. When they got to the place where they had left the sack of gold and silver, they found it had been dug up ready for them and, standing by it, was a big blue bird with a red beak and red legs. Jump on, said he. And I will pull you. I am Pekeko. 
New Zealand swamp hen. The fairy's servant sent to take you back to the mountain. They thanked the kind rabbit and jumping on the sack went on their way. They had not gone far when they heard a great noise behind them and looking round saw Tom Tiddler trying hard to catch them. Before Tom Tiddler could touch them, however, Blue Cat pointed the red feather at him and said, I wish you to become a snail. And Tom Tiddler turned at once into a crawling snail. He can never hurt anyone again, the goblins cried with joy. His treasure now is ours. Hurrah! They soon reached home, and old Black Cat was very pleased to have them back safe and sound. My dear sons, said he, taking them in his arms, the kingdom is yours. Rule it well together, as together you have found the feather. I am an old man now, and shall be glad to see you on the throne. Old Black Cap and his sons gave a mushroom feast to celebrate the goblin's safe return. They invited the rat, the rabbit, the pakeko, and Rowley the frog, and they all enjoyed it very much, and lived happily ever after. End of the story of the three goblins by Maple G. Taggart. Read by Adam Wybray. Hey, thanks, Adam, so much for that reading. Really good job. Uh, next time, don't record underneath the radio towers. All right. Up next, we have Goblin Market, written by Christina Rossetti. And, and the last bit we heard was the story of the three goblins by Margaret Taggart. All right. Goblin Market. Goblin Market by Christina Rossetti. Read by Elizabeth Clett. Morning and evening maids heard the goblins cry, Come buy our orchard fruits, come buy, come buy. Apples and quinces, lemons and oranges, plump unpecked cherries, melons and raspberries, bloom-down-cheeked peaches, swart-headed mulberries, wild free-born cranberries, crab-apples, dewberries, pineapples, blackberries, apricots, strawberries, all ripe together in summer weather. Morns that pass by, fair eaves that fly, come by, come by. Our grapes fresh from the vine, pomegranates full and fine, dates and sharp bullaces, rare pears and greengages, damsons and bilberries, taste them and try, currants and gooseberries, bright fire-like barberries, Figs to fill your mouth, citrons from the south, sweet to tongue and sound to eye, come by, come by. Evening by evening among the brookside rushes, Laura bowed her head to hear, Lizzie veiled her blushes. Crouching close together in the cooling weather, with clasping arms and cautioning lips, with tingling cheeks and fingertips, lie close. Laura said, pricking up her golden head. We must not look at goblin men, we must not buy their fruits. Who knows upon what soil they fed their hungry, thirsty roots? Come by, called the goblins hobbling down the glen. Oh, cried Lizzie, Laura, Laura, you should not peep at goblin men. Lizzie covered up her eyes, covered close lest they should look. Laura reared her glossy head, and whispered like the restless brook, Look, Lizzie, 
Look, Lizzie, down the glen tramp little men. One hauls a basket, one bears a plate, one lugs a golden dish of many pounds weight. How fair the vine must grow whose grapes are so luscious! How warm the wind must blow through the fruit-bushes! No, said Lizzie, no, no, no! Their offers should not charm us, their evil gifts would harm us. She thrust a dimpled finger in each ear, shut eyes and ran. Curious Laura chose to linger, wondering at each merchant-man. One had a cat's face, one whisked a tail, one tramped at a rat's pace, one crawled like a snail, one like a wombat prowled obtuse and furry, one like a rattle tumbled hurry-scurry. She heard a voice like voice of doves cooing all together. They sounded kind and full of loves in the pleasant weather. Laura stretched her gleaming neck like a rush-embedded swan, like a lily from the beck, like a moonlit poplar branch, like a vessel at the launch, when its last restraint is gone. Backwards up the mossy glen turned and trooped the goblin men, with their shrill repeated cry, Come by, come by. When they reached where Laura was, they stood stock still upon the moss, leering at each other, brother with queer brother, signalling each other, brother with sly brother. One set his basket down, one reared his plate, one began to weave a crown of tendrils, leaves, and rough nuts brown. Men sell not such in any town. One heaved the golden weight of dish and fruit to offer her. Come by, come by, was still their cry. Laura stared but did not stir, longed but had no money. The whisk-tailed merchant bade her taste in tones as smooth as honey. The cat-faced purred, the rat-paced spoke a word of welcome, and the snail-paced even was heard. One parrot-voiced and jolly cried, Pretty goblin, still for pretty Polly. One whistled like a bird. But sweet-tooth Laura spoke in haste. Good folk, I have no coin, to take were to purloin. I have no copper in my purse, I have no silver either, and all my gold is on the furs that shakes in windy weather above the rusty heather. You have much gold upon your head, they answered all together. Buy from us with a golden curl. She clipped a precious golden lock, she dropped a tear more rare than pearl, then sucked their fruit-globes fair or red, sweeter than honey from the rock, stronger than man-rejoicing wine, clearer than water flowed that juice. She never tasted such before. How should it cloy with length of use? She sucked and sucked and sucked the more, fruits which that unknown orchard bore. She sucked until her lips were sore, then flung the emptied rhymes away, but gathered up one kernel-stone, and knew not was it night or day, as she turned home alone. Lizzie met her at the gate, full of wise upbraidings. "'Dear, you should not stay so late. Twilight is not good for maidens. Should not loiter in the glen in the haunts of goblin men. Do you not remember Jeanie, how she met them in the moonlight, took their gifts both choice and many, 
ate their fruits and wore their flowers, plucked from bowers where summer ripens at all hours. But ever in the moonlight she pined and pined away, sought them by night and day, found them no more, but dwindled and grew grey, then fell with the first snow, while to this day no grass will grow where she lies low. I planted daisies there a year ago that never blow. You should not loiter so. Nay, hush, said Laura. Nay, hush, my sister. I ate and ate my fill, yet my mouth waters still. To-morrow night I will buy more. And kissed her. Have done with sorrow. I'll bring you plums to-morrow, fresh on their mother twigs, cherries worth getting. You cannot think what figs my teeth have met in, what melons icy cold, piled on a dish of gold, too huge for me to hold, what peaches with a velvet nap, pellucid grapes without one seed, odorous indeed must be the mead whereon they grow, and pure the wave they drink, with lilies at the brink, and sugar sweet their sap. Golden head by golden head, like two pigeons in one nest, folded in each other's wings, they lay down in their curtained bed, like two blossoms on one stem, like two flakes of new-fallen snow, like two wands of ivory tipped with gold for awful kings. Moon and stars gazed in at them, wind sang to them lullaby, lumbering owls forbore to fly, not a bat flapped to and fro round their rest, cheek to cheek and breast to breast, locked together in one nest. Early in the morning, when the first cock crowed his warning, neat like bees, as sweet and busy, Laura rose with Lizzie, fetched in honey, milked the cows, aired and set to rights the house, kneaded cakes of whitest wheat, cakes for dainty mouths to eat, Next churned butter, whipped up cream, fed their poultry, sat and sewed, talked as modest maidens should, Lizzie with an open heart, Laura in an absent dream, one content, one sick in part, one warbling for the mere bright day's delight, one longing for the night. At length slow evening came, they went with pitchers to the reedy brook, Lizzie most placid in her look. Laura most like a leaping flame. They drew the gurgling water from its deep, Lizzie plucked purple and rich golden flags, then turning homeward said, The sunset flushes those furthest loftiest crags. Come, Laura, not another maiden lags, no wilful squirrel wags, the beasts and birds are fast asleep. But Laura loitered still among the rushes, and said the bank was steep and said the hour was early still, the dew not fallen, the wind not chill, listening ever but not catching the customary cry, Come by, come by, with its iterated jingle of sugar-baited words, not for all her watching once discerning even one goblin racing, whisking, tumbling, hobbling, let alone the herds that used to tramp along the glen, in groups or single, of brisk fruit-merchant men till Lizzie urged, "'Oh, Laura, come! I hear the fruit call, but I dare not look. You should not loiter longer at this brook. Come with me home. The stars rise, the moon bends her arc, each glowworm winks her spark. Let us get home before the night grows dark. 
for clouds may gather, though this is summer weather, put out the lights and drench us through. Then if we lost our way, what should we do? Laura turned as cold as stone, to find her sister heard that cry alone, that goblin cry, Come by our fruits, come by. Must she then buy no more such dainty fruit? Must she no more such succus pasture find, gone deaf and blind? Her tree of life drooped from the root, she said not one word in her heart's sore ache, but peering through the dimness not discerning, trudged home, her pitcher dripping all the way, so crept to bed and lay silent till Lizzie slept, then sat up in a passionate yearning, and gnashed her teeth for balked desire, and wept as if her heart would break. Day after day, night after night, Laura kept watch in vain, in sullen silence of exceeding pain. She never caught again the goblin cry, Come by, come by. She never spied the goblin men hawking their fruits along the glen. But when the moon waxed bright, her hair grew thin and grey, she dwindled as the fair full moon doth turn to swift decay, and burn her fire away. One day, Remembering her kernel-stone, she set it by a wall that faced the south, dewed it with tears, hoped for a root, watched for a waxing shoot, but there came none. It never saw the sun, it never felt the trickling moisture run, while with sunk eyes and faded mouth she dreamed of melons, as a traveller sees false waves in desert drought with shade of leaf-crowned trees and burns the thirstier in the sandful breeze. She no more swept the house, tended the fowls or cows, fetched honey, kneaded cakes of wheat, brought water from the brook, but sat down listless in the chimney-nook, and would not eat. Tender Lizzie could not bear to watch her sister's cankerous care, yet not to share. She night and morning caught the goblin's cry, Come by our orchard fruits, come by, come by. Beside the brook, along the glen, she heard the tramp of goblin men. The voice and stir poor Laura could not hear, longed to buy fruit to comfort her, but feared to pay too dear. She thought of Jeanie in her grave, who should have been a bride, but who for joy's brides hoped to have fell sick and died in her gay prime, in earliest winter-time, with the first glaring rhyme, with the first snowfall of crisp winter-time. Till Laura, dwindling, seemed knocking at death's door. Then Lizzie weighed no more, better and worse, but put a silver penny in her purse, kissed Laura, crossed the heath with clumps of firs at twilight, halted by the brook, and for the first time in her life began to listen and look. Laughed every goblin when they spied her peeping, came towards her hobbling, flying, running, leaping, puffing and blowing, chuckling, clapping, crowing, clucking and gobbling, mopping and mowing, full of airs and graces, pulling wry faces, demure grimaces, cat-like and rat-like, rattle and wombat-like, snail-paced in a hurry, parrot-voiced and whistler, helter-skelter, hurry-scurry, chattering like magpies, fluttering like pigeons, gliding like fishes, 
hugged her and kissed her, squeezed and caressed her, stretched up their dishes, panniers and plates. Look at our apples, russet and dun, bob at our cherries, bite at our peaches, citrons and dates, grapes for the asking, pears red with basking out in the sun, plums on their twigs, pluck them and suck them, pomegranates, figs. Good folk, said Lizzie, mindful of Jeanie, give me much and many, held out her apron, tossed them her penny. Nay, take a seat with us, honour and eat with us, they answered, grinning. Our feast is yet beginning, night yet is early, warm and dew-pearly, wakeful and starry. Such fruits as these no man can carry. Half their bloom would fly, half their dew would dry, half their flavour would pass by. Sit down and feast with us, be welcome guest with us, cheer you and rest with us. Thank you, said Lizzie, but one waits at home alone for me. So without further parleying, if you will not sell me any of your fruits, though much and many, give me back my silver penny I tossed you for a fee. They began to scratch their pates, no longer wagging, purring, but visibly demurring, grunting and snarling. One called her proud, cross-grained, uncivil. Their tones waxed loud, their looks were evil. Lashing their tails, they trod and hustled her, elbowed and jostled her, clawed with their nails, barking, mewing, hissing, mocking, tore her gown and soiled her stocking, twitched her hair out by the roots, stamped upon her tender feet, held her hands and squeezed their fruits against her mouth to make her eat. White and golden Lizzie stood, like a lily in a flood, like a rock of blue-veined stone lashed by tides obstreperously, like a beacon left alone in a hoary, roaring sea, sending up a golden fire, like a fruit-crowned orange-tree, white with blossoms honey-sweet, sore beset by wasp and bee, like a royal virgin town topped with gilded dome and spire, close beleaguered by a fleet mad to tug her standard down. One may lead a horse to water, twenty cannot make him drink. Though the goblins cuffed and caught her, coaxed and fought her, bullied and besought her, scratched her, pinched her, black as ink, kicked and knocked her, mauled and mocked her, Lizzie uttered not a word, would not open lip from lip, lest they should cram a mouthful in, but laughed in heart to feel the drip of juice that syrupped all her face, and lodged in dimples of her chin, and streaked her neck which quaked like curd. At last the evil people, worn out by her resistance, flung back her penny, kicked their fruit along whichever road they took, not leaving root or stone or shoot. Some writhed into the ground, some dived into the brook with ring and ripple, some scudded on the gale without a sound, some vanished in the distance. In a smart ache tingle, Lizzie went her way. She knew not was it night or day, sprang up the bank, tore through the firs, threaded copse and dingle, and heard her penny jingle bouncing in her purse. Its bounce was music to her ear. 
She ran and ran, as if she feared some goblin man dogged her with gibe or curse, or something worse. But not one goblin scurried after, nor was she pricked by fear. The kind heart made her windy paste that urged her home quite out of breath with haste and inward laughter. She cried, Laura, up the garden, did you miss me? Come and kiss me. Never mind my bruises. Hug me, kiss me, suck my juices squeezed from goblin fruits for you, goblin pulp and goblin dew. Eat me, drink me, love me, Laura, make much of me. For your sake I have braved the glen, and had to do with goblin merchantmen. Laura started from her chair, flung her arms up in the air, clutched her hair. Lizzie, Lizzie, have you tasted for my sake the fruit forbidden? Must your light like mine be hidden, your young life like mine be wasted, undone in mine undoing and ruined in my ruin, thirsty, cankered, goblin-ridden? She clung about her sister, kissed and kissed and kissed her. Tears once again refreshed her shrunken eyes, dropping like rain after long sultry drought. Shaking with anguish, fear, and pain, she kissed and kissed her with a hungry mouth. Her lips began to scorch. That juice was wormwood to her tongue. She loathed the feast. Writhing as one possessed, she leaped and sung, rent all her robe, and wrung her hands in lamentable haste and beat her breast. Her locks streamed like the torch borne by a racer at full speed, or like the mane of horses in their flight, or like an eagle when she stems the light straight toward the sun, or like a caged thing freed or like a flying flag when armies run. Swift fire spread through her veins, knocked at her heart, met the fire smouldering there, and overbore its lesser flame. She gorged on bitterness without a name. Ah, fool, to choose such part of soul-consuming care! Sense failed in the mortal strife, like the watch-tower of a town which an earthquake shatters down, like a lightning-stricken mast, like a wind-uprooted tree spun about, like a foam-topped water-spout cast down headlong in the sea, she fell at last. Pleasure passed, and anguish passed. Is it death, or is it life? Life out of death. That night long Lizzie watched by her, counting her pulse's flagging stir, felt for her breath, held water to her lips, and cooled her face with tears and fanning leaves. But when the first birds chirped about their eaves, and early reapers plodded to the place of golden sheaves, and dew-wet grass bowed in the morning wind so brisk to pass, and new buds with new day opened of cup-like lilies on the stream, Laura awoke as from a dream laughed in the innocent old way, hugged Lizzie but not twice or thrice. Her gleaming locks showed not one thread of grey, her breath was sweet as May, and light danced in her eyes. Days, weeks, months, years afterwards, when both were wives with children of their own, their mother-hearts beset with fears, their lives bound up in tender lives, Laura would call the little ones, and tell them of her early prime, those pleasant days long gone of not returning time, would talk about the haunted glen, 
the wicked, quaint fruit-merchant men, their fruits like honey to the throat, but poison in the blood. Men sell not such in any town. Would tell them how her sister stood in deadly peril to do her good, and win the fiery antidote. Then joining hands to little hands would bid them cling together. For there is no friend like a sister, in calm or stormy weather, to cheer one on the tedious way, to fetch one if one goes astray, to lift one if one totters down, to strengthen whilst one stands. And that was Goblin Market. All right. Hey, everyone, thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Oleander Book Club. You can join us next week for, uh, or later on this week, for a brand new episode of Radio Free Oleander. Find out what me and Dave are up to. We're going to have a new segment where Dave talks about various residents of the town. We're going to walk around some more. Uh, Should be some more segments coming up. Maybe even an episode of the Rockford Files Files. Uh, There's going to be some, hopefully, some Dave Underground goat shenanigans. And maybe I'll find something else to put into this show. All right. Thank you so much for listening to Oleander Book Club. Rate, review, subscribe, tell people about it. You know, gonna have a lot more stuff and it's gonna be a little bit different than Black Clock Audio Tales and then also just like way different from like the readings that I did back in the day with People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. So, you know, constantly evolving, constantly moving forward. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. I hope you're doing well. I hope you're staying safe. I hope you're cleaning and, you know, keeping clean. And uh, if you're, you know, essential like me i hope that you are having fun listening to this while you're working and having other things to listen to and that's one reason why i recommend podcasts while i'm doing this stuff all right thank you again so much remember go to pgttcm.com to check out our shop and figure out how to get some t-shirts or stickers or something you can contact me i'm db spitzer don't contact me on facebook that's 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 i don't really use facebook for anything other than just advertising but you can contact any of our things that we do the podcast stuff through you know our pages just look for city of oleander kzom 11:30 a.m and you'll find stuff so yeah pgttcm is still going to be a part of this program and thank you again so much for listening i feel like i'm rambling oh you are rambling db okay cool well see you next time <laughs>